Father, I do pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your word as, as we go over this chapter that, um, Lord, that has significance for us t- here tonight about a, a false worldwide church. And we see the, the rumblings. We see um, the signs of that taking place even today. And we know it's going to come to um, a full com- culmination when the tribulation period comes. But, Lord, I pray that uh, it would cause us to be wise, to be discerning, um, to know that all that which is false, that it is going to be judged and it's going to come to an end. And so, Lord, we want to um, just uh, gain from the study of your word tonight. We want to leave here being encouraged and edified and and, um, wise because we've been here. So, Lord, we just ask that you would teach us now. Help us to remember to turn those ringers off our phones. Um, Lord, um, to be free from distractions, to really be able to focus on what the Word of God is, is saying to us and what you are declaring to us and how you're ministering to our hearts. And so we just commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm sure that um, most of you, if not all of you, that you've had somebody ask you if you are religious, if you're a religious person, or they see you as a religious person because maybe your declaration of, of being a Christian, but they say that, hey, that's the religious one that's at work. Maybe you're considered the religious one at work that everybody kind of whispers about. Maybe you're the religious neighbor because people see you, you know, go and, and leave Sunday mornings, you get in your cars and they know you're leaving for church, or, or maybe you're the religious one in your family. And, and so we've heard that term, you're the religious one, or uh, they're religious, and it's a term that, frankly, I don't really care for or, um, or to be referred to, and I'm sure that you feel the same way. Because as most of us know, Christianity is not about being religious, but it's about relationship with the true and the living God. And what is interesting is that as we've been looking at these events in chapter 6, and we will continue for the next couple weeks into chapter 19, that we see this period of time that's called the tribulation period. And all the things that are taking place as there is God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. We saw the, the bull judgments last week as we went over that. But it's interesting that in this period that we know that the church is going to be absent, I believe, that the church is going to be raptured before this tribulation period. There are going to be the tribulation saints. We've discussed that in detail, how the tribulation saints will uh, be there on the scene being persecuted. We're going to discuss that here. Here as we go through this chapter, that we know that at the end of the tribulation, that the eyes of the Jews are going to be opened up. They're going to recognize that Jesus is their Mashiach and, and, and cry out to him. And we know that Paul writes in Romans chapter 11 that in that day, all of Israel is going to be saved. But what is interesting, as the church is absent during the tribulation period, the gospel is still going forth by 144,000 Jews, uh, believing Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that there's going to be a proclamation of an angel, as we saw in chapter 14, given the everlasting gospel. But even those who are not 
given their lives to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, there's still going to be plenty of religion that's going to be taking place in this time frame. And we know that even today there's a lot of religions. When people ask, are you religious? One of the things that we can do in responding to them is say, what do you mean by that? Because it can really mean any number of things. There are many religions of the world, uh, many definitions of, of what it means to be religious. And we see that throughout the scriptures, there have been many false religions of the world. We know as we travel through the Old Testament, that the children of Israel fell into false worship. They fell into uh, worshiping the, the Canaanite gods and the idols. And it would lead to tragedy and terrible consequences and repercussions as they would be, you know, led off into captivity. And we know that it's interesting that today it's amazing how man sees religion. Man sees religion in a positive light, right? Man sees religion as being that God has many names and he can be worshiped in many ways. And we worship all the same God, but, but just in different terms and different ways and all of this. And you've heard perhaps the illustration of it's like a person who's blindfolded and touches an elephant. One touches the trunk and one the tail and one the leg and, and they describe it, but it's all describing an elephant. And that's what people see religion today. When we read the Bible, what the Bible has to say and what God has to say about religion, it is not in a positive light at all. And he is not known by many names. He's known by one name. And Jesus would say that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's a very exclusive statement in that, that those who belong to Jesus Christ are the only ones that can truly cry out, Abba, Father, to have the spirit of adoption. And you see, the world doesn't like that. The religions of the world doesn't like that. And people say, well, that's being exclusive. It's exclusive in that the truth is, is that a true trial of God is one that has come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is not excluding anyone from coming to Jesus Christ. Jesus in that garden said that, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What he was saying, if it is possible for any man or any woman to be saved rather than me going to the cross, let this cup of, of suffering and death pass. And because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, and he said, I will take on the cup of suffering and death because he knew that it was the only hope that we had. It was him going to that cross and dying for you and for me. If there is any other way that we can come to salvation, come to the Father by being good or religious or even the Old Testament sacrificial system or, or, or being a good person or rich enough or wealthy enough, uh, then he didn't have to go to the cross. But because he willingly went, it was the only way that we can have salvation. And that's why Jesus proved when he declared that I am the way, definite article, the way, not a way, but the way the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Then when he died on that cross and he cried out, it is finished, I died for sinful humanity, and he was put into a grave and he rose again. He validated what he did on the cross. He proved that he's the Son of God that conquers sin and death.
So what we're going to see here tonight is judgment is going to come upon this one world religious system that is spoken of here in chapter 17. In chapter 18, we're going to see the fall of Babylon as far as it relates to commercial Babylon. And so as you recall, if you were with us last week in our previous study, that the seven bowls of judgment were poured out by those seven angels, Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, and chapter 14, verse 8, have already declared Babylon's fall. So in chapter 17 and 18, we see this judgment come upon Babylon. We see uh, Babylon that is going to fall. Babylon is mentioned 287 times in the scripture, more than any other city except Jerusalem. And there are six chapters that focus on Babylon in the scriptures. Isaiah chapters 13 and 14, Jeremiah chapters 50 and 51, and now as we're going to study tonight and next week, chapter 17, which is religious Babylon, and then chapter 18, commercial Babylon. And Babylon really has been present throughout history. History. It was present in John's day as it was typified by Rome. It is present in our day and throughout history as the world system. But in the tribulation period, under the Antichrist, Babylon in both the religious and commercial aspects are going to dominate the earth. In chapter 16, it really ends, as we saw, with the judgment of God in the tribulation period. Chapters 17 and 18 are all part of that judgment. All false religion is going to be put to an end. And we have seen that this one called the Antichrist will dominate the world. We've seen that very clearly. And we saw that he has and is going to, as, as we've gone through these events of the tribulation period, he is going to set up a one-world economic system where if you don't take the mark of the beast, his mark, make your allegiance to him, you will not be able to buy or sell. And we know that there was a second beast that was told to us in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. And it's interesting. He was likened like a lamb, which speaks of that which is gentle, but he would speak as a dragon. And a dragon, of course, is symbolic of Satan. So he's going to be speaking demonic things. And this false prophet is going to point to the Antichrist. And he is going to be one that no doubt is going to help in setting up this religious system that eventually is going to be destroyed by the Antichrist. So probably this judgment on religious Babylon is going to take place that we will read about in the middle of the tribulation period to give place to the Antichrist, as we've already discussed, who is going to declare to the world that he is God and he alone wants to be worshipped. So looking back at history, to understand the end, you have to understand the beginning. And we see Babylon, the beginnings of it, in Genesis chapter 10. And in Genesis chapter 10, I'll read it to you, that we read that Cush begot Nimrod, and he became a, a mighty one 
uh, on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So Nimrod is the one that established Babel. He was a mighty hunter. Now, don't think that he was one that was good at, you know, hunting big game. Uh, the Hebrew expression here is talking about he was one that was a hunter of men. He, he dominated men. He, he would take over territories. Matter of fact, as you read in chapter 10, the nations here are, that are described to us from the descendants of, of Noah right after the flood, that he's the one that built Nineveh. Now, Nineveh rings a bell with you because that ended up being the city that was the capital of the mighty Assyrians, the Assyrians who were brutal and, and the ones who would carry the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, off into captivity. So here comes Nimrod. He's a mighty hunter. Uh, he is one that uh, built Babel. We are introduced now to Babylon. And in chapter 11, you read about the Tower of Babel that it was built. And in it, in verses 4 through 9, I'm not going to read all of it, but they would say, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. So in that, they were building the Tower of Babel. It, it was a rebellion against God. They were shaking their fist at God. We're going to elevate ourselves to heaven. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And, and we know that was the beginning of, of Babylon, the Tower of Babel, and, and how the Lord would deal with all of that is, uh, come, let us go down, and therefore <clears throat> confuse their language that they may not understand one another. So the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. We know that Nimrod, um, as he is the beginning, the one who started Babel or built Babel, he was the great-grandson of Noah, it is believed and it is told in mythology that he marries a wife. Uh, her name was Semiramis. Uh, she was evil and declared herself to be the mother of heaven. And according to Eusebius, the historian, <clears throat> that she was Semiramis, the Noah's granddaughter. So here is Nimrod marries Semiramis, uh, and it is in mythology, it is taught, that she bore a son miraculously named Tammuz. And a, a, a divine light sh shined on her. A, a sunbeam came down and, you know, was, you know, uh, shining on her. Not the sunbeam ladies, you know, mixers that you have in your kitchen. But a divine light came down. And, and, and she conceived mir miraculously is what mythology says. And, and had a son. He was considered a savior. He was killed by a wild beast and, and brought back to life. And, and we see that that belief all the way from Genesis would carry on through the history, even in affecting the false idols that the children of Israel were worshiping. When you read Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 14, that the women there in the house of Judah in Jerusalem, they were weeping for Tammuz. They had this, where they weep for him. And we see that, you know, they would also, in Jeremiah chapter 7, they would make cakes for the queen of heaven and offering incense to the queen of heaven <clears throat> in Jeremiah chapter 44. 
So all of the false religions of, of the Canaanites, um, Baal and Astroths and, and all that is traced back to Babylon. All traced back to Babylon and Nimrod. So in the tribulation period, the Bible tells us that the false prophet who will work signs and wonders that he's going to unify all the religions, what is left after the rapture of the church. The church's absence. And he uses what is left to create a united, singular, world order, religious order. And it is called Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots, plural. It, it speaks of how Babylon has polluted and um, has affected all kinds of, uh, and includes all kinds of religions and, and denominations or uh, beliefs. We don't know exactly how it's going to look, but let's begin to read about it as we read in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. Then one of the seven angels at the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, verse 3. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with, with uh, gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was a name that was written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And then verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So we read that one of the angels that was there, that seven angels that stood up and, and poured out their bold judgments on the earth that we saw in, in the previous chapter, that one of those angels comes over to John and says, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Three times in the book of Revelation, we have seen that an angel came to John and said, come, come and see. We saw it in chapter 4, remember, that come, John, and he was taken up into that heavenly scene of chapters 4 and 5. Uh, this is the second time when this judgment is going to come upon uh, religious Babylon. And then the third time is in chapter 21, verse 9, where he is told, come, and he sees the, the new Jerusalem. So this angel comes to him and shows him these things. This great harlot is described as, as you know, by one of the, the seven angels that is talking with John. Um, and so I'm going to show you the judgment of the great harlot that sits on many waters. She presides over many nations. Verse 15 is going to tell us that quite Clearly, she has international character. This woman pictures the false religion that will dominate the world in the tribulation period, and particularly the first half of the tribulation, I believe. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk. Uh, religious Babylon intoxic intoxicates the kings, verse 2, and the peoples. So the kings... And particularly as we go over this, the ones that are ruling with the Antichrist are supporting this false religious system. And I find that interesting. Uh, 
Because today, what do we hear a lot about today? That there needs to be separation in church and state. And, and you know, government doesn't want anything to do with religion or, you know, with Christianity. But in the tribulation period, we're going to see that these kings that are told to us, these leaders that have aligned themselves with the Antichrist, that they're going to be supporting, as well as the Antichrist, this false religious system in the first half of the tribulation period. And they will be made drunk with the wine of her fornication, which in the scripture has a strong association throughout the Bible with idolatry. So th there's going to be this well-accepted religious system that is going to appear to be attractive and spiritual, but it's going to be very deceptive and it's going to be very false. And that's the thing about false religion and, and false doctrine and things like that, that it can really appeal to people's flesh. It can appeal to people to where it seems so wonderful. It seems nice. It's attractive. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers in his second letter, he was dealing with false apostles and, and teachers that had come on the scene. They were putting Paul down. I said, don't listen to Paul. You need to listen to us. And Paul is warning the Corinthians about these guys, these guys that called themselves super apostles or most eminent apostles and teachers. And Paul goes on to say that these guys are deceivers. They're false teachers and apostles. And, and Satan is an angel of light. Therefore, uh, it's no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. We need to keep that in mind that Paul tells us in the word of God that Satan is like an angel of light. And this false religious system is going to seem like it's light. A lot of false things that people believe today, they believe that it's light. And their ministers, those who are their, you know, uh, ministers of false religion and, and all of that, they are ones that are transforming themselves into ministers of righteousness, but they're deceptive and they're false. A false religious system that has been put into place at this time after the true church is snatched away. But what we're going to see is that this false religious system, and we see its beginnings now, I believe, the rumblings of it all around us, because Satan is working overtime to bring deception into the church. I don't need to tell you that. Satan hates the church. And he's persecuted the church. Matter of fact, in the early church, when he persecuted the Christians very heavily, that the church, you know, the, the, the seed of uh, the persecution would begin to spread and the, and the church grew. So he knew that he couldn't just persecute the church. He still does, but he also joined the church. And a very effective way that he can deceive people, pull people away from the scriptures and the truth of the scriptures and from the gospel is that he brings deception and he will do anything that he can to deceive the church. He comes as an angel of light. He's a master counterfeiter. He's a master deceiver. He, he's a liar, Jesus said. He's a murderer. And here at this time, he's going to deceive the whole world. Now, we know that Revelation chapter 12, that it is going to be the, the, the dragon, the Antichrist is going to go after 
the, the Jews, and he's going to begin to persecute them, a remnant of them are going to have to flee out into the wilderness. And then in chapter 13, we saw that the world is going to turn and worship the beast. And the false prophet that's described there is going to point the world to him and make your allegiance to him. And even though all of this is future, I believe that we're seeing Satan, you know, prepare for it even now. Even in the church, what we see in the church, that more and more there's a getting away of Scripture. There's a more and more getting away of the gospel. There are many religious people in the world but there's not that many who are born again by the Spirit of God, accepting Jesus into their hearts. Jesus said, again, that I am the way to the Father. And it's a very simple statement that we believe. And the world does not like that. And they do not like that you and I proclaim the gospel, that Jesus is the way to heaven, that he died for your sins, and he is your only hope for salvation. People say that's narrow-minded. But didn't Jesus say that narrow is the way that leads to life and broad is the way that leads to destruction? And it breaks my heart, as I've seen in the years that I've been in ministry, 27 years, that we are seeing a rapid decline in, in the importance of the Word of God and believing the Word of God, the sufficiency of the Word of God in churches. We're not, again, just talking about, you know, we can look at some of the uh, mainline denominations that have uh, abandoned the Word of God. They've abandoned the gospel. But now it's more in independent churches and even in, in non-denominational churches. Churches that are backing off of the truth. They're saying that it's okay to live any way that you want. It's okay to live any lifestyle. You know, it's okay if we redefine what marriage is between a man and a woman. Letting culture define what they're going to do in the church. All these things that we've talked about and, and what we're seeing in the church is that you don't even need to take your Bible anymore. And, and even there is a seduction in the church today where Christians are being told more and more it's not that important to really be a student of the Word of God. What we are going to see, Paul's going to warn Timothy in a couple weeks as we continue that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He says, this is going to happen, Timothy. This is a warning. This is what you're going to see in the church. And he says in verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister. And he goes on in his last words that he writes to Timothy. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul says, this is going to happen. Here is a warning. This is what's going to take place in the latter times. Evil men and imposters in the last days are going to grow worse and worse. And what we're seeing, it concerns me when, when I hear pastors say, well, people are tired of Bible study. Uh, we're just going to flow in experience. 
We're just going to flow and, and whatever happens in this new wave of revival that's going on. And I remember sitting in a, a church service where it was packed with people. And this new revival that's breaking out and people are laughing in the spirit and then they're barking in the spirit and they're howling in the spirit. And the one that's leading that saying, people are tired of Bible study. We need to put our Bibles aside. And I remember thinking, I wanted to stand up and yell, everybody put your tail between your legs and run. When anybody says, put your Bible aside, that you're tired of Bible study, we're just going to flow and experience, there's a problem there. So we're seeing more of that where people want to be entertained. They want to, you know, it's like they watching movie clips from Hollywood, you know, and all these different things that are taking place more in the church. Where we need to be students of the word. The Bereans who searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was so. And they wanted to know, is this true what he is saying? There isn't an attitude so much today of searching the scriptures. And I'm not saying that we here at Calvary Chapel, we're the only ones that have the corner on ministry. I'm not saying that. But we're seeing a, you know, a seduction of Christianity that's taken people away from their commitment to Christ. It's a seduction that will seduce people based on their own lusts and their own desires in entertainment and programs and experiences and all of this. It concerns me. We're going to finish the book of Revelation, you know, by the end of October. And the Lord's really putting on my heart before we go back to the book of Jeremiah to do a series on how we can be strong in the days in which we're living in. And to really go over those things. Because what we're seeing is we're seeing more and more of our young people that are living compromised lives. They're accepting what culture says. Hey, this is just the way it is. We're seeing that, that families more and more are in despair and marriages falling apart and all these things that are taking place and it affects all of us. And I pray that we can go through the Word of God to see what God has to say about these things. And I pray for our young people particularly because you know, they're the ones, if the Lord tarries, what's it going to be like for them in 20 years, and 30 years? What is it going to be like for those who are being raised up in ministry, how difficult it's going to be for them? It is getting harder and more challenging. And, and, and Satan is working overtime in the church. And so it's sad to see these things. So here is, as in verse 3, to read it again, that John says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names uh, of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And again, that's a reference. We've discussed this from Daniel 2, Daniel 7. Nebuchadnezzar uh, had a dream, and Daniel says, here's your dream, and here's the interpretation. And, and he described the legs of iron, which was representative of Rome, and then the 
the feet that was iron mingled with clay and the ten toes, which represented uh, ten kings that would be in existence at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 2 is called the foundation of Bible prophecy. Daniel chapter 7, the four beasts, the fourth beast was the one that caught Daniel, Daniel's attention. It was dreadful. It was terrifying. And, and of course, there was uh, 10 horns there, and out of those 10 horns came a little horn that is a name for Antichrist. So the 10 horns, 10 kings, we were told in Daniel 2 and 7, they're going to be a part of this revived Roman Empire is what we call it. And this harlot, this woman, is riding the beast, showing us that she is supported at least for now from the beast and supported by his political power. And the beast is really using the woman as we will see. But remember that he will exalt himself as God. He wants to be worshipped as God in the temple of God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And when he does that, he's going to turn and destroy this false religious system as we're going to see here in a little bit. But she doesn't know that right now. This woman who's being supported by the beast the religious powers of the world, the political powers of the world, you know, look for them. The religions of the world, the political powers of the world becoming more friendlier and friendlier. And that's what's going to happen in the first half of the tribulation period. But then the Antichrist and these political powers are going to turn on this woman and destroy her. Let's continue to read. Again, this woman, verse 4, was arrayed in purple and scarlet, gold, precious stones, pearls. She knows how to seduce people into idolatrous, false religion. She's the mother of harlots in worldly splendor over earthly kings, perhaps using materialism because, or, or you know, uh, adorned with gold and precious stone and pearls and luxury items. She's going to seduce, perhaps with a variety of, of uh, spiritual experiences. Uh, verse 5, and on her head, on her forehead, that is, the name was written, Mystery Babylon, the great the mother of harlots, of the abominations of the earth. The harlot is, uh, is listen, larger than any branch of religious institution. She is powerful. She is influential. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. John here is existing during the time of who? Domitian? And Domitian is heavily persecuting the church. He sees here that those saints, the, the, the Jews that have rejected the Antichrist, this religious system, and also the tribulation saints that, you know, she's drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. He marveled at that. There's going to be a great persecution of believers, the tribulation saints during this time. He said, I marvel with the great amazement. I find that to be interesting. So he's going through, John, at this time of great persecution, but it's going to be even greater during this time. The religious systems drunk with the blood of saints, the world false church persecuting those who have rejected it, and, and false religion is always the worst enemy of true religion I remember reading that from Dr. John Wolvode. And you can go throughout history where in the name of religion, people have been killed, uh, you know, 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in the name of religion. But here it's going to be, she's going to be drunk with the blood of the saints, you know, the martyrs of Jesus Christ. But the angel said to me in verse 7, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman of the beast that carries her, which was the seven heads and ten horns. Kind of interesting, the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I was thinking about that this afternoon. It's kind of like the angel saying, why do you marvel at this? Shouldn't be surprised. Kind of like you remember in Luke's gospel, when the women came to the tomb on the first day of the week after the crucifixion of Jesus, and the angel's kind of going, oh, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you doing that? Kind of like the angels are kind of scratching their heads at us and and why are you looking for the living one among the dead here? He's alive. He's not here. But anyway, we see that um, the focus is on the beast. This harlot wrote the, the Antichrist system that's being raised up, using the woman as a tool to accomplish his purposes. And, and, and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman. So now he's going to, in the next verses, tell the mystery of the woman as we read it we're going to think huh what's being said here so I'm going to do my very best as we go through this here in the next few moments but the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition and those who dwell on the earth remember that's a term for non-believers will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world and then they see the beast that was and it is not and yet is so I believe verse 8 is referring perhaps when the Antichrist is going to experience that assassination attempt. Remember chapter 13, verse 3, that we read, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. So here we read in this chapter, verse 8, the emphasis is on the person, not the empire. You saw him. He's going to rise out of ten horns, and it's not. Maybe perhaps that assassination attempt or accident or something, whatever. And, and the Antichrist, through satanic miracles, will solidify his power. He will be a world leader with the genius, the skill, the charisma unseen in our generation in history. People will, will look at him and, and they'll marvel at his power. They'll marvel at him and turn to him and begin to worship him at this time. When all of a sudden it seems like he resurrects from this, this mortal, mortal wound that happens on his head. We don't understand it all. But the Bible talks about the book of Revelation. And then in verse 9, here's the mind, which is the wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, some clues are given here concerning the beast Antichrist. We know from Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, that the ten horns, again, the ten kings, will rise out of that kingdom, this revived Roman Empire. They are kings, not necessarily nations. You see, I've read a lot of prophecy books that say ten nations. It doesn't say ten nations. It says ten kings. It could be ten nations, or it could be ten territories. We don't know how it's going to be divided up. And we can talk about different theories and things that have come up, but the seven heads are identified as the seven mountains which the woman sits. Now, many Bible commentators 
Teachers immediately identify this with Rome because it's been known throughout history, including John's day, as the city of seven hills. But this, this, the word here is more mountains. And others see it, the seven heads, as governments. Mountains are sometimes a figure of government. Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. We know Psalm 30, that, that David refers to Israel as a mountain. So the Greek word here is mountain, not hills. It connects with the seven kings of verse 10 and kingdoms described, spoken in the scripture. Okay? Stay with me. All right? So we, that we have understanding. Some believe that religious Babylon... Listen, I'm going to tell you this, because there's books out there, you know, that say that the false church is going to be the Roman Catholic Church. This is going to be much bigger than the Roman Catholic Church. It's going to influence the religions of the world. It's going to bring it all together. And I know that there is, you know, efforts and talk about that and all of this, but it's going to be much bigger than that. And as we look at this, there also are seven kings, verse 10, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. So this is where it starts to get difficult. This verse is, it's a difficult verse, and it has brought a lot of prophetic speculation, like I said earlier. Some think that this is a reference to seven great Gentile nations, five have fallen, who would that be? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece. One is, that is John, you know, or Rome in John's day. And then the other, you know, one is, the other has not yet come. That's the revived Roman Empire. Others say, no, it's referring to a person. Maybe it's speaking of emperors. And John writing this, there were six major emperors of the Roman Empire. Uh, let's see, Julius Caesar, then Caesar Augustus at the time Jesus was born. Then there was uh, Tiberius. Um, then Caligula. And there was Claudius. And then number six, Domitian. So some say it's speaking of emperors. Verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. So what is that speaking about? The beast, we are told, is coming. Verse 11 tells us that the beast, Antichrist, is the eighth one. He is of the seven. Now, it either shows the characteristics with previous world, you know, emperors, or he shows characteristics of one of the seven uh, emperors of the Roman Empire. Some have suggested perhaps the characteristics of Caesar Nero, who, who went insane persecuted the church very heavily. It could be that the seventh ruler is the beast in his human form. The eighth is the beast in his satanic incarnation, freshly, you know, raised from the dead, completely possessed by Satan. He comes out of the abyss and goes to perdition, and he is destroyed. He's called the son of perdition. Or the kingdoms... Five have fallen. One is Rome. One is Rome at the time John's writing this. Another has not. That's the revived Roman Empire. Then the eighth, that's when the Antichrist takes over. So which one is it? There's going to be a quiz on all this, by the way, when you go home. I'm going to give you... 
we don't know exactly. But it could be talking about that the Antichrist, I think empires, is talking about nations that have come on the scene. Rome is, this revived Roman Empire that will come up, and then the Antichrist takes over. But the ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings, once again, very consistent with Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 2, who have received no kingdoms as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And these are one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So there's going to be this federation of ten kings. Exactly how does that look? We don't know. Perhaps it could be a global government. Those who really speak of, you know, in the United Nations, that, that branch that speaks of, you know, uh, one world and uh, globalization and all of that, uh, you can see plans that they, they've drawn up for 10 regions of the world. Kind of interesting. So could it be the 10 kings are ruling over the 10 regions? Because, again, we're not just talking about Europe. The Antichrist is going to rule over tongues, people, nations. He's going to be a worldwide leader. And these 10 kings are going to give their allegiance to him. And at first, in the first half of the tribulation, supporting this false religious system. So this global government, one world government... And these ten kings are going to yield their authority to the Antichrist. And they will last only as long as the beast does, the Antichrist. The world will have one desire, and that is to follow the Antichrist. And as they align themselves with the beast, they're of one mind. They wage war against Christ. Verse 14 underlined it. And they will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords, King of kings. Those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. If there's anything that you get out of this, there was five and one is and all of this, I want you to, to understand this and be comforted by this. That the Lamb will overcome them. That means you overcome and maybe as you're here tonight, you're thinking, what does this concern me? Because I'm not going to be in the tribulation period, and I'm not going to be around with the Antichrist, but maybe you're going through tribulation right now in your own life. And I want you to know that you believe in the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And you are called chosen and faithful. And he is working in your life and you might be thinking that the enemy's having a heyday with me. And he's really been working overtime in my life. He is not going to win. Because the lamb wins. And he's already won for you. Because he went to a cross. And he died for your sins. And he rose again. And his promises are true. And you're in his hand. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And if there's any comfort that you get tonight, it's that he's going to take you to be with him because you are chosen and you're considered a faithful one. And we can rest in that. And we can continue in the promises of the Lord because even though it's a battle out there, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. And the Lord is going to work in your life and his promises will be true. And he's going to do work in you as you trust in him and rest in his love. So those who are with the Lamb are called chosen and faithful. The nations will gather. We will see that in chapter 19. They'll turn on the Lamb. It won't work. He will simply speak. 
destroy those nations and then there'll be the judgment of the nations. We're going to come back with him and rule and reign with him. That's our future. So it's important that we develop a relationship with the Lamb, to hear his voice, to know his word, to know him. That's why we study God's word. Listen, we're going to continue to study God's word here because I'm going to give you the truth because if I don't, you're going to face a lie. If I don't give you the truth of God's word, you will face a lie. All the voices that are around us, you will end up facing a lie. And we need to be discerning in the days in which we're living in. That which is false, it may seem like it appeals to our flesh. It seems like such light. It just seems wonderful, but it is deceptive. And we need to test the spirits, as John said in his epistle, to see if they are of God. In verse 15, and he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the harlot's influence is worldwide through her connection with the beast. It's truly one world religion. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the uh, harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So the Antichrist and, her, and his allies will turn on this false religious system and destroy it. And the reason is, is because when he goes into the temple again, in the middle of the tribulation period, he's going to proclaim himself as God. He alone wants to be worshipped. That's something Satan's always wanted. So he doesn't need the false religious system anymore. And he will not share his power. He will only accept worship given to him. And, and the tribulation saints... And the Jews that reject him are going to be heavily persecuted, as I said. So he doesn't need religious Babylon anymore. And I believe that will happen at the midway point of the tribulation. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beasts uh, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So this, the, the one world government is going to join initially with this one world religious system. They will destroy that one world religious system. And then those kings, you know, will um, give their kingdom over to the beast. I've heard people say, you might hear it, that the Antichrist is just going to rule over that revived Roman Empire. He's going to be a world leader. The book of Revelation is very clear on that. Painstakingly tells us that that they're going to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And then it says that the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, which people say no doubt is Rome. Um, John tells us that he has declared that judgment is going to come against religious Babylon. And it will come. Listen. Let's continue in truth, Okay. Because as I said, I believe that we see the rumblings of this taking place even today. The deception that's in the church, it should concern us. But listen, I want to encourage you, listen. Keep coming and learning, all right? Keep learning the scriptures. I, I hear different things. I, I, I even hear it from those who say they're dedicated to teaching the Word of God, that they're saying, well, the Old Testament isn't important to study anymore. Listen, it's important to study. 
Anytime that you hear somebody say, well, this part isn't important to study, or this book isn't, you know, uh, something that we should study. I've been told by pastors, you shouldn't study, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament. You shouldn't study the book of Revelation. Whenever I hear that, it concerns me because Paul wrote that all scripture and all in the Greek means all is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, don't go to sleep on the study of God's word today. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of doctrine out there that is very, very... Seems appealing, but it's wrong. The whole prosperity gospel, which, by the way, is not the gospel. And things that appeal to people's flesh. And that which blatantly is against the word of God, we need to be careful of. Because I think it's going to get worse. I think it's going to get worse as we get closer to return of the Lord. So let's stick to the scriptures, all right? And, and be students of the word. And the Lord is going to use those who know this book that you can give truth to others. This is truth. I'm hearing more pastors say this contains truth. This is truth. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. You see how subtle it is? Well, the Bible contains truth. No, this is truth. Well, the Bible is just, that's a cultural thing. Oh, we don't really need to study these books. Let's put our Bibles aside. People are tired of Bible study and stuff. Listen, you guys have been listening to almost an hour. And it doesn't always appeal to the flesh, but it's going to feed your soul. And there's safety and security in knowing this. So that's what I'm going to give to you. Because everything else is chaff. Everything else is chaff. And if you don't know the truth, you're going to face a lie. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this section that is sometimes hard to understand these verses. But we do know this, that there is going to be, when the church is gone, that there's still going to be plenty of religion that's going to take place. And so, Lord, being a Christian and knowing your word isn't about religion. It's about relationship. So I want to pray if there is anyone here that maybe you thought being religious was good enough. None of us can be good enough. And that's why Jesus came to die for our sins. He died on that cross that we might be forgiven of sin. He made atonement for us. No one else did that. No other religious leader. Not Confucius, not Muhammad, not Buddha not any spiritual guru, only Jesus Christ. And then he cried out, it is finished. Three days later, he rose from that tomb he was put into. And he proved that he's the son of God and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we make no apologies for that. So, Father, I pray that we would always stand on the gospel, to never be ashamed of it, and that we would speak the truth and love to others. But because the hope of anyone is to come to Christ, maybe you've never really done that. Maybe somebody is here listening online, that you can do that right now. He loves you. 
religion will not save you. A church will not save you. Trying to be good won't save you. It's coming in faith and believing that he died for your sins and he rose again and confessing that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness because it separated me from you, Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Will you come? You can cry out right now. You can, in your heart, sincerely pray that, Lord, I call upon you. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me and you rose again. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I believe that you're alive. You rose from the grave. And I thank you for dying for me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe that you are the way. And I thank you for bringing me into the family of God to be my Lord and Savior, that I have the spirit of adoption now that I can truly say, Abba, Father. And I do want to know you and walk with you. I want to grow in truth. And I want to, Lord, Lord, I just want to grow in my love for you. And I thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. And listen, and we, we close here in a minute. The prayer team's going to be up front. Tell them, come up and tell them the decision you made so we can minister to you and encourage you. But for all of us, may we be ones. This false church, we see rumblings of it. We see deception coming into the church more and more because Satan is a liar. He's an angel of light that deceives. And Lord, we want to be wise. We want to test the spirits. We want to continue in the word of God. Not get sloppy, not get lazy. We want to know the truth so we don't face a lie. There's so many voices out there. We want to be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be strong in the day in which we're living in. Lord, that the word of God would guide us in every area of our lives and we would know that you want to put that truth into our hearts and have it worked out in our lives. So many are falling into the deception of the world. And Lord, we know that it's a dangerous place to be spiritually. So many that think it's okay to compromise. And Lord, this can happen to us in any area of our lives. So Lord, I pray that we would be ones that we desire to please you with our lives and walk with you and not compromise, not give in to the temptations and lies of the world, but to be about holiness purity, good behavior, and a good conscience, and sincere faith. Lord, not being boastful or prideful, but in humility, recognizing our dependency upon you, recognizing our need for you, because we can't do it in our own strength. So, Lord, we just pray
for us, for our children, for our grandchildren. We love them. Help us to be a voice of truth. Lord, minister to their hearts. Draw them to yourself. Help us to be light to them. To speak the truth and love to them. It was Moses that was told that go to the place, lead the people where I will show you what I've shown to you, Moses. And we know we cannot lead the ones that we love unless you're showing us truth. Where to go? So, Lord, speak to our hearts as we grow in your word. Lord, thank you for tonight. Bless everyone here as we go our way now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.